Well, let me say good morning, church. <clears throat> it is good seeing you all in the Lord's house on this Sabbath day. For me, uh, one of the things that I enjoy about the Sabbath is uh, when I first walk into the church and getting an opportunity to be greeted by those who may be uh, at the front. And uh, by the way, thank you to all who serve as greeters. That is a very, very important thing. Amen. Amen. And this morning, I uh, walked into a, a conversation, and I won't mention who uh, they were, but uh, you know, per the norm, I'll look where they are. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but uh, these two beloved, beloved people were having a conversation, and you know, we came in and said our hellos and everything, and one of the dear people said, I'm so grateful uh, to have, um, or that the Lord has sent us a younger pastor. <laughs> and the reason for which they said this is what really tickled me. Uh, they said, because he's not on his way out. <laughs> I said, today is going to be a good day, a good Sunday. <clears throat> But all of that to say, I enjoy coming in the Lord's house this morning and interacting uh, with various people and just the conversations that get things started. So, so I have some years ahead of me, it sounds like, and uh, of course, if the Lord says so. Brothers and sisters, we are in Unity Month. We have been celebrating Unity Month um, via our Soul Food series, as well as in the Sunday morning messages. Uh, this will be my third message, and our brother Reuben will preach next Sunday, so you can be praying for him ahead of time. But just by way of reminder, our first message was United in Worship. We looked at Revelation 7, and we saw that we all have a common need, that being sin, or rather salvation, we all have a common remedy, that being Christ himself, and we all have a common destiny. And as a result of these things, we are united in worship. Last week, we talked a little bit about being united in service. And in terms of our unity in service, I called us to our devotion in Christ, our love toward one another, and our witness to the world. This morning, we'll talk a little bit about being united in fellowship. So if you're able to rise, I'll ask you to do so. We have a small portion of scripture for this morning. Psalm 133. It's just three verses as a whole. So I'll read these three verses in your hearing, and then afterwards you can take your seat, or rather I'll pray after reading, and then you can take your seat. It is a song of a sense of David. We read these words. Behold, how good and pleasant it is 
when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life evermore. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to now look into your word. We thank you for what you have already done in this service. We thank you for the songs that we have sang. We thank you for the prayers that are lifted up, uh, the testimony that was given. We thank you so much for this service as a whole. And as we come now to your word, we pray that you will meet us in it and that our hearts, our minds, our souls will find what it is that you would have for us in your word. Speak to us now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. United in fellowship. Now, before we look at uh, this psalm, there are three questions that I want you to consider, and these are questions that I will ask you to answer in your own time. The first question is this, where is unity lacking amongst us? Now, we can think about this corporately as a church. We can think about it in relation to our ministries that we are part of. We can think about it in terms of our life at home. Where is unity lacking amongst us? The second question is this. What role do I have or what role should I play in creating or maintaining unity? What role do I have or play in creating or maintaining unity. And thirdly, where unity exists, to what degree do we give Christ the credit? Where unity exists, to what degree do we give Christ the credit? Now, those are questions again that I hope you will take the opportunity to answer in your own time. But that being said, let's think a little bit along this portion of Scripture. First, we would do well to note the <clears throat> context. And the truth is, the psalm itself doesn't give us a whole lot of context. There are two main thoughts as to what occasions this psalm. The first is, if you recall David, <clears throat> when he was made king of Israel, he was anointed when he was young, but he didn't become king right away. He would spend years, uh, in essence, running for his life from Saul. But eventually Saul would die along with his son David, and then they, um, his son Jonathan and then David would become the king officially. But if you remember, and you'll see this in 2 Samuel, 
he didn't become king of all of Israel right away. Instead, he became king of only a handful of the tribes, whereas the others were following a son, another son of Saul. So when David first became king, he wasn't king again over all of Israel. As a matter of fact, there would be wars. And again, you'll see this in 2 Samuel. There will be wars between David and his side of Israel and Saul's son and that side of Israel. And eventually, after seven years, he would become king of all of Israel. And some believe that as a result, he pins this psalm about unity. I tend to favor that, <clears throat> that position. But there's also another view that this was written later in his kingship. You would recall when he's on the run for his life, his own son Absalom is in the process of rebelling and trying to take over Israel. And so David is on the run. And some believe that he pins this in light of that. And that could fit. But either way, this psalm is more than likely birthed out of a time in which there was no unity. But then there would become a period of unity in which David responds to. So again, you can take either view, but nonetheless, those are the two major views as to what occasions this psalm. Now, also, we need to take into, uh, the, we need to take into consideration the fact that when you look at Scripture, when you look at Scripture, you will see that there are many examples, and I need not go over all of them, but there are many examples of disunity. And we start even from the beginning of Scripture, you see where mankind rebels against the Creator, against God. And as a result, there's disunity between God and mankind. And of course, because that is the case, there is disunity between mankind itself. You see this even from the fall itself, as I referenced. You know, when Adam... Uh, is challenged by God, you know, have you eaten of the fruit and why did you do this? And you recall his response, he blames Eve. In essence, he blames God that says, you know, the woman that you've given to me. But all of a sudden now there's a problem. And then you see it in their children. You see Cain and Abel, of course, Cain being the unrighteous one. And you see all kinds of disunity going throughout Scripture, and this results initially because man becomes disunited with God himself. And so we cannot take for granted that unity is something that is natural. We cannot think that because we see calls to unity in various places in the Scripture, that this is something that will come just by way of us existing. The fall has created a scenario in which unity is no longer natural. And as such, it is something we must work toward. So again, throughout the scripture, you will see a variety of examples of disunity. But the good news is, 
because of God himself. And of course, in Christ Jesus, unity is possible. And again, there are ample examples, and I, I won't go over them for time's sake, but there are ample examples of unity in the scripture as well. And of course, you see it culminating in God's uniting us unto himself. So the point in terms of context-wise, unity is not something that is natural. It is something that we need as a result of the fall. But yet the good news is, because of Christ, because of God himself, unity is possible. Amen? Now, in terms of the psalm itself, it begins, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers, or it could be brothers and sisters, dwell in unity. In other words, the psalmist, perhaps David himself, is reminding the people that unity is a good thing. And of course, that almost goes without saying, but it, 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 it's, it's well for us to note that unity, again, while it's not something that's natural, it is something that is possible in Christ, but know that it is a good and pleasant thing. It is, I, I, you know, I suppose if I'm to use a, a personal uh, illustration, uh, in relation to, to my children, and I, I, we say this to them all the time, we want them to get along. And I don't know, some of, most of us perhaps have brothers and sisters, and I don't know what your relationship with your brothers and sisters were. I have a younger sister, and uh, our relationship, you know, I think because we're somewhat close to age, it was, it was rough from time to time. And I can remember my parents constantly hammering away we will not be here one day, and we really want for you two to be able to get along. And at that point, I wasn't really thinking too much about how important that was. And me and my sister, we have a far better relationship now. But in the moment, you know, we weren't thinking about being united. There was one phone in the house, and it, was, it wasn't a cell phone. We didn't have that, so we fought over that. We fought over food. We fought over whatever there was. But my parents were constantly hit at us getting along. And I think about that almost every day now in light of the fact that I have children. And this is not to say they don't get along all the time, but unity is lacking from time to time. And so I have to say to them, children, Watkins children, behold, <laughs> from the word of God, how good and pleasant it is when you dwell in unity. And this is, this is just me speaking from a personal note, but we all should be reminded of this. Whenever we find ourselves in situations where we see a lack of unity, again, in our ministries, in our homes, whether it's in our relationships with various people, 
Sometimes when things are not going the way they need to go, we need to run to the scriptures and be reminded, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers or brothers and sisters dwell in unity. So again, this is on some level almost elementary for many of us, at least in thought, but in practice, let us constantly remind ourselves, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And again, if this is written in the context of Israel warring against each other, how precious this psalm would be in the moments of their being united. So brothers and sisters, unity is a good thing. Amen? He goes on to describe <clears throat> what it's like or why it's a good thing. In verse number two, he says, it is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard of Aaron, on the <clears throat> running down on the collar of his robe. <clears throat> for many for many in this particular day and time, they would have been quite familiar with Aaron and his ministry, Aaron being the brother of Moses and being the first high priest. And you can see uh, his anointing, its reference in Exodus, and then even specifically in Leviticus 8, you'll see how Aaron is anointed. And Aaron, is his anointing, was a precious and good thing. Oil in the scriptures was used as a form of medicine, but also used uh, to, to, to set people or things apart. And so when Aaron was uh, being anointed for his ministry, he was being set apart. It was something whereby God was giving special attention to. In other words, here is God saying to his people in the person of Aaron that he would be with them and that their sins could be paid for as Aaron served as a mediator between God and mankind. And Aaron's anointing, again, was a good thing. It was a precious thing. And the oil that ran down upon him signified the presence of the Lord's power and his spirit. And so when this anointing was being done, again, the people would have looked at that as a special occasion. And brothers and sisters, again, because unity is not something that is natural as a result of the fall, where unity exists, we see the hand of the Lord. Where unity is present, where unity is shining bright, we know that the Lord's hand is upon us as his hand was upon Aaron himself. He goes on to not only use Aaron's situation, but also he references it's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Zion was a term that was used to reference a number of things. It could have referenced a specific location within Israel. It could be Israel as a whole. And then when you move to the New Testament, it, it could be used as a reference in terms of the heavenly Jerusalem. 
But either way, the dew that would come upon the mountains, physically speaking, was refreshment for the land. It meant blessings for the land. It is good. It is pleasant. It is refreshing when unity exists amongst God's people. And he closes in terms of the scriptures, for there the Lord has commanded blessing, life evermore. In other words, where there is unity, there is blessings. Now, brothers and sisters, having briefly looked at the portion of scripture, in terms of lessons, this is what I want us to take home in addition to the questions I gave earlier. First, let's consider the who, the who of united fellowship. Who am I, who are we to be united unto? In this specific portion of Scripture, uh, and under the Old Covenant, there is a heavy emphasis upon ethnic Israel. But as you move over into the New Covenant, as Christ comes to fulfill the law, he opens up the floodgate and he references that not only is God himself concerned, of course, with the Jew, but he's also concerned with the Gentile. In other words, Christ has come to redeem all who would call upon his name. And for us to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are called to be united with all who are in Christ. Who is it in this church that you need to be united with? Who is it that is sitting in this building on this morning that may not look like you, that may not have the same preferences you have when it comes to food or to music or to whatever, and yet for them to be your brother and sister in Christ, are you prepared to be united in the, with them? Jesus deals with this when it comes to the issue of love. It's not just that we love those who love us. It's not that we just love those who look like us, but we're called to love our neighbor, whoever that person may be. In other words, Jesus opens the door for love to be expanded. And same thing when it comes to unity, brothers and sisters. Unity is not just simply interacting with those who think exactly alike, who behave exactly alike. Yes, we have fundamental similarities. Christ is our anchor. The scriptures serve as our anchor. But outside of these particular anchors, you don't have to have the same preference in food for me to be united with you. You don't have to have the same taste for, for art that I might have for me to be united with you. Are you in Christ? Do you love his word? Do you love his people? Are you forgiven in him? Then let us be united together if we share these things. Who are we to be united with? Brothers and sisters, let us be reunited with all who call upon the name of Christ. Amen? The how of united fellowship. We read earlier in Acts chapter 2 
how the brothers and the sisters came together and they were breaking bread and they were devoted to the teachings of the apostles and, of course, devoted to prayer. I mean, these are things that we could also be doing, and this is not to suggest that it's not happening, but who can we be doing these things with that we're not currently doing these things with? Who is that brother or sister in Christ that you have yet to break bread with? Who is that brother or sister in Christ that you have yet to ask, how can you be praying for them? Who is that brother or sister in Christ that you have yet to just simply offer a word of encouragement? It is good to see you today. Brothers and sisters, we can be creative in how we unite in our fellowship. But brothers and sisters, we are called to be united in our fellowship. And I would challenge you as I would challenge myself to find ways to offer fellowship with our brothers and our sisters. Amen? The why of united fellowship. Again, in this passage, it talks about how the Lord has commanded his blessing, life forevermore. And again, this is told in the context of unity. In other words, where unity exists, the blessings of Christ exist. And brothers and sisters, it is, you know, I used the, refer I, I used the reference of my children a little bit earlier. You know, it, it does something to me when I walk and, and they don't even realize I see them, but I see, but I see them getting along and interacting with one another. And, and, you know, I'm almost tempted to say, you know what, kiddos, let's go Let's go get some toys or some. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that out loud because now they're going to hold me to it. But, but and my wife, she can, she can testify to this. Sometimes I'll, I'll, walk, I'll be walking around the house and, and I might catch, uh, let's say, Brian. He'll be off reading and, and I didn't expect him to be in the corner reading. And I'll tell Stephanie, I'll like, come, come look, come look. And we'll both look at him and we'll just on some level, gloat, if you will. <laughs> and and, and I, I like to think on some level, God smiles upon us when we are united. It, it, it's, I would like to think that where God himself sees his people, despite what differences we may have, when he sees us united in our fellowship, I'd like to think that he smiles upon us. And I will say, just as whenever I see my children doing well, yes, I think it's, for me, this is just my parenting, I will go out and I will try to do something to reward them. Now, I have to be careful because I have one child who thinks that that means they have to be rewarded every single time. But and no, Sydney, that's not the case. <laughs> By the way, my children, they know from time to time when I'll talk about them, but they know I love them. But, but, but there are times where I'm like, okay, you have done well. And in your doing well, I am going to do something for you. I am going to bless you, whether it's with something you like or something you need. But as a result of your doing well, I will respond. And again, I believe that's the Lord's actions toward us as well. 
God just doesn't simply look at us and see us united in our fellowship and simply, okay, that's good and that's great. Now, he has every right to just sit back and smile. But yet, I am one who tends to think that when we operate in the ways in which God calls us to operate, he will bless us. And he will bless us in ways unimaginable. And so, brothers and sisters, again, the who of United Fellowship is with fellow brothers and sisters, irregardless of our different tastes. The how, we can do this in various ways, whether it's going and breaking bread or praying or offering words of encouragement. The why is the blessings, the encouragement, even the accountability that we can get from one another. Now, in conclusion, brothers and sisters, unity is possible with one another. Again, because we have been united with Christ. Let me say this again. And you've heard this perhaps in other ways. And even various portions of Scripture, I think of John uh, to be exact. He says, you cannot, you cannot say you love God and then yet hate your brother or your sister. In other words, if you love God, you must also love your brother and your sister. Well, think in terms of unity. We have been united to God by Christ himself. Amen? We, are not only, we, we not only have to be mindful of the ways in which our relationships might not be broken, but first, perhaps, we might need to be mindful of the ways in which our relationship with God himself lacks unity. But yet, God, out of his own grace and out of his own mercy, unites us with him through his son. And to prove this is the case, he gives to us his Holy Spirit. And as such, we are in unity with God himself. Now, to be in unity with God himself, we must also be in unity with the people of God. We have to be very, very, very careful. I've, I know someone like this. It's been years since I've communicated with them, so I don't know if they still hold this position. But as long as I have Jesus and access to a radio or a TV, I am good. I, this is not an over-exaggeration. I know someone who felt as if because of their experiences with the church, and this is not to suggest they didn't have bad experiences with the church. People do. There's no question about that. But they say they believed that as long as their relationship with God was good and they had access to, of course, their word, but TV, to hear a sermon or whatnot, they felt everything was okay. And so on some level, they highlighted their unity with God, but totally disassociated themselves from unity with his people. That's not how it works. That is not how it works. And this is not to suggest that unity is easy. It was not easy for Christ to go to the cross 
It was not easy for Christ to sit in the garden praying to his father to remove the cup for him. And yet, he submitted to the will of his father. Unity may not be easy. Personalities are involved. Cultures are involved. Experiences are involved. Age factor, gender, all of these things we have to take into account. But yet, if Christ can bring us and unite us unto God himself, we can be united to one another as a result of his hand. And so, brothers and sisters, this is perhaps not something that is new that you are hearing, but I want us to realize and to remember that to be united in our fellowship is a good and pleasant thing. And if we remind ourselves of that, brothers and sisters, how much more should we do what we can to make this a reality. Christ will help us. Christ will be with us. And Christ has made unity possible. And so if you're united in Christ, let us be united with one another. And brothers and sisters, where unity exists, let us also give him all the credit. Amen? Father, we thank you for the fact that we have first been united to you and that you fellowship with us in the person of your Holy Spirit. Even when we were far off, when we were not in unity with you because of our sin and our brokenness, you took the effort. You came in the person of Christ and you paid the price for our sin and you've given us new hope, new life. You've given us a new relationship with you. And Father, as a result, we are called to not only be united to you in fellowship, but to be united with one another in our fellowship. Father, first, we ask that you forgive us if we have not been united, if we have played a role in disunity, have mercy upon us and help us. Help us to play our part in having united fellowship with our brothers and our sisters. We thank you that unity is possible. We thank you that unity is a good thing. And we look forward to that day, Lord, in which we will be with you in person, experiencing unity to its fullness. Until then, Father, help us to grow in our unity here at Faith, even in our own homes. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.